Welcome to week two of our teaching series on the story of Joseph from Genesis 37 to 50. Last week, I tried to set the table for us, painting a picture of Joseph's family dynamic and Joseph's character as an individual. And hopefully, hopefully, you've been mulling over these first four verses in Genesis 37 all week, hopefully. If you did miss last week's talk, you can hit pause on this video and head over to our website, www.restoresby.org, and you can watch week one. I'd recommend it. It was a lot of fun. Or if you're super pressed for time and you're like, hey man, I'm here now, I hit play, just speak your mind. Come on, I got stuff to do. First of all, just relax, okay? Relax. Second, despite your bossy tone. I'll give you the highlights of last week's talk, okay? Number one, Joseph's family is a hot mess. Now, we only looked at the first four verses of Joseph's story in Genesis 37, and we certainly do see some of that family drama in those introductory verses, but there's much more that we should know by way of background. The most important point is this. Joseph's immediate family is the result of a jealousy-motivated baby-making competition between his dad's two sister wives and their handmaidens, for lack of a better word. By the end of this crazy narrative, we have 12 brothers from four different moms, all seemingly occupying different statuses within the family. Number two. Joseph is the favored son of his father. He is one of the two sons of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. He and his younger brother, Benjamin, were born to Jacob late in life, but Joseph, the older of the two, takes pride of place. Number three, Joseph's brothers hate him probably for all of the reasons I've already mentioned. He's the favorite. His mom was the favorite. And also, in the first four verses of Joseph's story, he's depicted as an entitled little snitch who plays upon his favored status to rat out his brothers, all while wearing a special ornamented coat of some sort that was given to him by his father as a symbol of his love. We aren't left to assume that the brothers hate him. The author just tells us straight up. They hated him. And it also says they couldn't even speak peaceably to him. Another scholar translates this line even more ominously than that. It says Joseph's brothers were hostile toward him and they couldn't speak of things being well for him. They couldn't speak shalom to or about Joseph. Now, this is a typical way of uh, just well-wishing within the Old Testament to speak shalom, but this is going to be important later, so I want you to tuck it away. The brothers cannot speak shalom to or about their brother. Now, the rest of the chapter, which is what we're going to talk about here, it it demonstrates how this animosity between the brothers plays out. And I can tell you, Joseph does not do himself any favors whatsoever in this story. In the very next scene, after the story's kind of bleak introduction about Joseph and his relations with his brothers, it says that Joseph has a dream. And because he's either really naive or really stupid or just really insufferable, he tells his brothers this 
dream. He says, listen to the dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly, suddenly guys, my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and, and bowed down to it. It's crazy, right? Can you believe it? I guess I'm going to be kind of a, a pretty big deal around here. Now you can feel what the brothers are feeling. Correct. It makes sense to you the the animosity that they have toward their brother. You you know this type of person, whether or not they're in your family. You know this this person. You might maybe have an image of them, which I would encourage you just to dial that down a bit. But in terms of the narrative, this is its real beginning. In fact, our dear, dear friend Walter Brueggemann suggests, without the dream, there would be no Joseph and no narrative. From the perspective of the brothers, without the dream, there would be no trouble or conflict. For the father, without the dream, there would be no grief or loss. The dream sets its own course, the father, brothers, dreamer notwithstanding. And in the end, the dream prevails over the tensions of the family. Joseph, as I've already mentioned a few times now, is the favored son. Him sitting around dreaming all day, it fits his character. He doesn't have much of a job in the story. He's 17. He's, he's old enough, but he's not a shepherd like his brothers. He might be an apprentice of some sort. We get that from the first couple of verses here when he rats out his brothers after hanging out with them and, and the sheep for a bit. But, but when they go out to shepherd, he's not with them. Also, his receipt of this special coat may have also provided him with a belief that he was destined destined for more, destined for greatness. Dad loves him the most. And dad also tells stories of how God has this big plan for their family, right? They're part of the covenant, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the the family through whom God is going to bless the entire world. And if Joseph is one of the favored sons in this family, then who knows what could be true of him as an individual. So his dreaming makes sense. And when he dreamed these lofty dreams of power and rule and and dominance, Joseph actually believed them. It was his destiny. The meaning of Joseph's first dream is is pretty obvious. The the sheaf is is him. It's Joseph. And the other sheaves are the brothers and they're all bowing down to Joseph. You can imagine how this goes over with the brothers. And the author, again, doesn't leave us in suspense uh, for knowing their feelings. The brothers, it says, hated him all the more because of his dreams and his words and his face and his stupid coat. Okay, I I added the last two. They might be in the message version, Street Remix 2.0. But uh, either way, I'm sure it's it's a true statement. Uh, This is a big theme early on in the story of Joseph. In verse 4, it says the brothers hated him. In verse 5, they hated him even more. In verse 8, they hated him even more, even more. It just keeps growing. One Old Testament scholar, John Goldengay, writes, How terrifying that there would be such murderous hatred within God's family. But it is the way things have been within Israel, Judaism, Islam, and the church. 
I don't want to make too much of this point, at least not from a moralistic or experiential standpoint, but it's worth our consideration just, just for a moment. Can, can you relate to these feelings? I doubt you want to murder anyone, I'm hoping, but, but hate? Maybe. Let me just say one word to you. Facebook. You know, you know what I'm talking about. There are people online whose posts, they, they just rile you up. People that you need desperately to unfollow because the very sight of their words and opinions and pictures, they make you feel something that you should not be feeling. But for some reason, you will not unfollow them. For some reason, you like getting angry and taking screenshots and sending them to your friends and saying, can you believe this person? I bet that some of these people are Christians, fellow believers, fellow followers. And even now you might be saying, no, no, no chance, not even close. No way does Jesus love that person. Maybe these people that you are struggling to relate to, maybe they're in your literal family. It's not just that they are brothers and sisters within the family of God. They're, they're your flesh and blood, and, and you're unable to relate to them, have conversations with them, to be civil with them. How is, how is all of this, how are all of these feelings and enmity, how are they affecting us can, can we relate to Joseph's brothers? Maybe you're on the other end of that and you can relate maybe more to, to Joseph. You're the, the object of others' murderous hatred. Or, or maybe you can relate to Joseph's dad that's just watching all of this unfold within his family. It is the way things have been within Israel and Judaism, Islam, and the church sit with that. I think that when we draw too sharp of a line between us as readers and the people in the story, sometimes we miss some of the, the barbs that the story is attempting to touch us with. As the story continues, Joseph has another dream. And again, because Joseph is either really naive or really stupid or really intolerable and sufferable, he tells his brothers again, listen, he says, I had another dream. Can you believe this, guys? It's, it's kind of like the last one, but this one, this one's even better. This time, 11 stars were bowing down to me. That's, that's you guys. But the sun and the moon... They were bowing down to me too. I, I, got, I got to tell dad. Jacob interprets the sun and the moon as him and Joseph's mom, who, remember, is, is dead. Rachel, Joseph's mom, dies giving birth to Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin. So it's sort of unclear who Jacob is referring to when he uh, evokes Joseph's mom. Maybe it's Leah as the, the new head of household. Maybe it's Rachel's handmaiden. Maybe it's uh, still a reference to Rachel, even though she has passed away. But even Jacob, upon hearing this dream, rebukes the favored son saying, will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and, and bow down to the ground before you? Get real, kid. 
the brothers, no doubt, are fully enjoying watching Joseph's rebuke by their father. Maybe, finally, they think, things are starting to turn around. Maybe dad is seeing what we see. Joseph is terrible. The author clarifies some of the emotions here, stating that the brothers don't hate Joseph. I mean, they do, but here it's a different word. It's jealousy. The brothers are jealous of Joseph. And as for Jacob, the author says that he keeps the matter in his mind. For you super literate Bible readers, this might make you think of Mary early on in Jesus's life, where she's just treasuring all of the things that she knows about Jesus. She's pondering them in her mind. And Jacob's doing roughly the same thing, keeping the matter in his mind, the matter of the dreams and what might become of his son. So let's let's add all of this up. Joseph's family is a hot mess. Joseph is the favored son of their father. Joseph's brothers hate Joseph, and then they hate him more, and then they hate him even more, and then we get the real reason for their hatred as if we needed it to be spelled out. They're jealous of him and how their dad feels about Joseph. And then fourth, Joseph keeps giving them reasons to hate him. He has these dreams that he believes preview his his imminent rule, which only makes him more insufferable. All of this becomes the background, maybe better, it becomes the impetus for what happens next as the story unfolds. And let's pretend, just for fun, that we don't know what is about to happen, okay? Let's just be good readers of this ancient story together. Now, as I mentioned, Joseph's brothers are shepherds, and after all of this dream stuff, they go out to pasture their father's flocks near Shechem. This is going to be important here in a moment. And Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And Joseph answered, Here I am, which is sort of typical back and forth in the Old Testament. So Jacob says to Joseph, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock. Literally here, it's go and see about the shalom of your brothers and bring word back to me. Golden Gay notes that somewhat naively, neither Jacob nor Joseph realizes what the potential danger of Joseph's mission is is. This potential danger is is twofold. One, there's a danger in sending him to Shechem. This is because a couple of chapters to the left of this story, a couple of chapters previously, we hear about Dinah. Remember Dinah. Dinah is a, a child of Leah, Leah's daughter. And Dinah, in this story a few chapters earlier, has gone out to see among the daughters of the land. This story turns tragic real fast. A man named Shechem kidnaps and rapes her and then gets his dad to try and arrange a marriage with Jacob. Any price, whatever you want, Jacob, I want this woman. I need this woman. 
And Jacob's sons say that this can't be done for a number of reasons. First being that Shechem just raped their sister. They conceal this reason because they're like their dad, they're tricksters. And instead, they state that Shechem and their people are not circumcised, which is a problem because within Israel, since Genesis 17, this was something that was to happen amongst God's people. They were to be circumcised, and anyone who was not circumcised was cut off from the people of God. Shechem, however, responds quickly, circumcising himself and then convincing all of the men of the town to circumcise themselves with with promises of of an an alliance with the family of Jacob, uh, potentially marrying other daughters and and having this trade between the two families. So the men of the town, they they go through with this. Just Just pause there and think about that for a moment. Shechem is, is really selling this to the people of the town, okay? And it says, and, and it happened on the third day while they were hurting. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. While they were hurting, Jacob's two sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took each his sword and came upon the city unopposed and they killed every male, So Shechem, yeah, right, Um, cool town. Uh, Joseph, your brothers, they're hanging out, you know, where they murdered uh, all of the men there. Why why don't you go and take your ridiculous coat and go and see if everything is is shalomi out there in Shechem with your brothers and with the flock, okay, and all of the angry townspeople. Just go and, and, and see on that. There's also the danger of sending Joseph, and I think this is the more clear and important danger, the the danger of, of sending Joseph to see if there is shalom with his brothers when his brothers can't speak shalom about Joseph. They can't speak it to Joseph. They can't speak it about Joseph. They can't even imagine good things happening in Joseph's life because they hate him so much. This is a terrible dad move. Hey, son, go out unattended and check on your brothers who who really hate you. And this is a stupid brother move, too. Like, yeah, that sounds good. I know I know they all hate me. I'm not sure why, but I want to go spend some time with them and see if shalom is happening. And sure enough, When the brothers see Joseph coming through the pasture land to check on them, they see his ridiculous coat and they immediately start plotting. Most of them just just want to kill him, which which is intense. They want to kill him. They want to throw his body in a cistern. A, a cistern is uh, a container of sorts, maybe a, a hewn-out rock that would catch rainwater that you can then lower a bucket down to have something to drink. In Israel and in the land here, it was dependent upon rainwater, and this is how they were to get their sustenance. Okay. It would be easy enough to, to blame this sort of a situation on a wild animal, Joseph sort of going out into the pasture lands to check on his brothers and they throw him into a cistern and just leave him for dead. Now, for some reason, Reuben, the, the, the oldest, uh, dials the violence back a bit and similar to J. Walter Weatherman in the show Arrested Development, he just wants to teach the Dream Master a lesson. He doesn't suggest, he asserts, we will not kill him. 
we'll just throw him in the cistern and that'll show him why you don't have dreams of power and wear a dumb coat. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, this is important, and they took him and threw him into the cistern and then, get this, right from that moment, stripping their brother, throwing him in a cistern, it says, then they sat down to eat. These guys are cold-blooded. They strip their brother down, they take his, his favorite coat, they rip it apart, they throw him in a cistern, they, they leave him for dead, they traumatize him to no end, and then they sit down to eat. Hey Dan, can you pass the hummus? Levi, you got any figs? Meanwhile, Joseph is in a cistern. While they're swapping stories and enjoying a meal together, they see some traders uh, traveling nearby. And the head honcho, Reuben, he's gone. He, he might be scouting for better land or trying to get more food from a nearby town. It, it's hard to know why he's gone and what he's doing. But while he's gone, Judah decides they should sell Joseph. If we have to keep him alive because of Reuben and his bossiness, why not get rid of him and the problem that we have and make a little money while we're at it? The going rate for a human of Joseph's age was about 20 pieces of silver at the time. There's 10 of them. I don't think Benjamin's going to get in on the cut here. So that's two pieces each. Not too bad. So they sell him to the caravanners without Reuben knowing. When Reuben finds out, he's ticked. He's, he's the guy who's posturing as though he's, he's in charge here, and he knows that his dad is going to hold him responsible for this, so he tears his clothes in a sign of symbolic mourning. This is important, too. Now that they are this far in, they, they have to cover their tracks, so they take Joseph's coat, the ornamented coat, the long-sleeved coat, the coat of many colors, the coat that they all hate so much for what it symbolizes. They slaughter a goat and dip the ornamented coat, the long-sleeved coat, the coat of many colors, the coat that they all hate so much, and they dip it in the goat's blood. And then they send it home. The author recounts, they had the long robe with sleeves taken to their father, and they said, this we have found. Please recognize it. Is it your son's coat or not? This, this verb here, please recognize in the Hebrew, hakernah, it's really important for this storytelling. Jacob recognizes the coat and, and responds, it is my son's coat. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces somewhere in the wilderness. Now flashback for a moment. Jacob is a deceiver. He's a trickster. And in one of the more famous deceptions that he pulls, he steals his brother's blessing from his nearly blind, nearly dead father, Isaac, by wearing his brother's clothes and pretending to be him. In other words, in this episode, Jacob is hoping that his father will recognize the clothes of his brother Esau so that he can steal his blessing. Now, Jacob is the old man in the story and he's holding a garment that has been 
torn and dipped in blood. And he is asked, do you recognize this? The biblical authors are ingenious in how they are bringing these stories together. It gets even cooler next week, okay? Jacob, of course, recognizes the coat, and in response, he tears his clothes and mourns his son beyond the point of consolation. Now, you are one of Joseph's brothers. You hate him so much because of what he means to your father, and now you see your dad broken over Joseph. It is then that you realize that this whole plan that you've hatched, it does nothing. Perhaps it even exacerbates the love that your dad has for someone who is not you because he is inconsolable. No one can bring him out of this funk. Think about all these family relations. Do we know brokenness like this? Have we experienced animosity and enmity amongst people, whether within our own literal families or within the family of God. Think about this theme of deception. Jacob is deceitful. We've known that in many of the stories of his younger years, and now his kids are deceitful. It's almost as if he is reaping what he has sown. Um, they have deceived the town of Shechem with, with good reason, but still they've, they've been lying and deceitful to them. They've been uh, deceitful to Joseph. They've been deceiving each other. Reuben leaves and when he leaves, they just sell Joseph into slavery. They've been deceitful with their dad coming up with this whole weird story about their kid brother dying and just leaving him to believe that his son is dead. Think about these clothes. In this chapter, there's a lot happening with with garments. Joseph has his ridiculous coat. Uh, Reuben is tearing his garments. Jacob is tearing his garments. The garment of uh, Joseph is torn as well to identify his fake death. Think about this question. Do you recognize this posed to the father? This is going to be really important as the story continues to unfold. But also, zoom out a bit and think about God. What is going on here? What is God up to? In the ancient world, people would have thought that dreams come from the divine. Is God behind this? In the story of Joseph, it's not specifically stated as such. But are they believing this? Is it true? What's God up to? In the story, we don't hear much about what's happening, not yet. Is God involved in any way? And if God is involved, what does that even mean? Involved how? Involved in selling Joseph into slavery for years and years? Involved in allowing Jacob to think that his son is is dead? Uh, Involved in in the, the brothers hatching this ridiculous plan? Within this story, we've got a lot of things to consider. And again, this week, I'm going to ask you just to let this sit with you, just to keep it in your mind and come back to it and ask questions of it, have conversations with it, allow it to to shape you and transform you. Don't leave it, but pursue it. We'll pick things up next week.